0: Bridge. Now we are not broadcasting live from the Golden Cape Bridge, but this is an inter- international man of mystery anyway. I'd like to interview or introduce to the fans uh, really, really, really uh, awesome. I've been I've been this all week because I've known this kid for a long time, and we're gonna we're gonna chop up some of that history. This is Braden Fahoku, defensive tackle from the Los Angeles. It's hard for me to say that. It's still hard for me <laughs> to say that, brother. The Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> B, welcome to the show.
1: Uh appreciate y'all for having me. I'm I'm super excited to be on.
0: I now. Um I wanna I'm because I'm gonna keep you as long as I can keep you, man. And go I, ahead. I go just ahead. Want you to, I want you to know that I want the fans, because we get listeners everywhere. I'm talking about from Russia to Hawaii to Japan, mm. everywhere. Your your background. And your story is so cool. And I I think there, whenever you talk about, and you have and Polynesian players, right? Mm -hmm. And every time you talk about a Polynesian kid, the place that you have to start is with his family. Because Mm. in the culture, the family is so important. And you have actually two of the most wonderful people I've ever met (laughs) as parents, your mom, Linda, and your dad, Billy, and, you know, I, I want to, we're going to spend a little time on your parents, right? Because I think that's respectful. Mm-hmm. It really tells, it'll help people understand more about who you are, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your dad, Billy, actually played in the Canadian Football League for the BC Lions, mm-hmm. and then came back to Hawaii, uh, where he you married your mom, and uh, is an enter, a entertainer of great folk <laughs> on the island. Mm-hmm. And your mom has become basically—I think—on her own sheer will, she has been the ambassador of every high school football player in the last twenty years in Hawaii, trying to help you guys. You know, not on—not—I not, won't say get off the rock, but just trying to create opportunities for young Polynesian kids in Hawaii who previously had have, have never had that experience, mm-hmm. right? What was it like growing up with those two as your mom and dad?
1: You know, it's amazing. Um, my parents were super, super influential in my life. I mean, still to this day, um, they mean everything to me. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of had the best of both worlds. Uh, you know, dad was more of the tough love kind of guy growing up. Um, he never he, he made sure that nothing was ever going to be easy on us because, I mean, that's how real life is. Nothing's <laughs> ever going to be easy in life um and you know mom just being a being a loving person she is um especially mom as an educator that always made sure that you know we were getting the best of both worlds on and off the field there was never a time to slip up there was never a time to ease up um both of them really made sure that we were on our p's and q's 24 7 365
0: days a year (laughs) all right now Uh, I'm going to tell this story because I love the story so much. And I don't even know if you remember it. You probably do because I think you were about 10 years old when it happened. We're playing Alabama in Aloha Stadium. And we're going to get a graphic of your dad on the show so that people can understand how big your father is. And still to this day, (laughs) and your dad's probably my age, and he could probably do 75 push-ups in one sitting, but <laughs> anyway, so the players, the Hawaii players would come onto the field, and then your dad would be about twenty five yards onto the turf and they would mm-hmm. run and they would he would chest bump, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he's after a while, guys start giving him head fakes and stuff like that because they don't want to take his best shot. But we're playing Alabama, and you know, Alabama has that mascot, that elephant mascot elephant. where they got mm-hmm. like. Yeah, some sort of cheerleader inside the elephant mascot, right? <laughs> and and lo and behold, this this is but uh, this is like looking into the future. So it's we're playing Alabama, and we actually beat Alabama at Aloha Stadium, and it's crazy crowd packed game, the whole thing. And your dad is juiced. I mean, your dad is fired up now because we scored a touchdown, and there was a TV timeout, and so down in I'm watching down in the end of the end zone, and the 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 knucklehead. Elephant with a human being inside of it comes over and he kind of like does he throws a little shade at your pops right and then he wants to run and and chest bump your dad and so he takes he about a 15 yard run and your dad goes boom and he hits him with full he explodes with a like six inch rising flow with his pets and he knocks the elephant over. The head comes off, and the elephant breaks his collarbone. And they have to... <laughs>
1: I remember this.
0: I, <laughs> they, have I re- to get the, they have to get the ambulance to pull the elephant off the field after your dad hurt the elephant.
1: Oh, my. It was hilarious because I remember going in the tunnel, right, and the elephant was like... Well, the kid, the student, he had took off his uh, the, the elephant head. And I remember he was just crying, like... <laughs> He was he was bawling like in tears in the tunnel, and uh, my dad was like making sure he was all right. And he was like, oh, "I'm good," and he was just crying in pain. It was, I don't think he 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 did anything like that ever again.
0: Hey, hey, now also legendary on on Oahu was the fact that I can't remember what day it was, but there was a there was a morning. I maybe it was a Saturday morning. It was traditional that all the Fahoku boys would get up and you would work out and your dad would run you now because mm-hmm. t- all your brothers played football right you, you all mm-hmm. been a family of football players mm-hmm. tell me about those mornings
1: so we'd go to i don't know if you remember tripler hospital um sure do and up tripler, on the mountain up on the mountain and tripler had that hill it's just a steep hill yeah. on tripler hill so every every saturday morning my dad would wake us up at like 4 30 4 25 ish a.m <laughs> And uh, he would always tell us to, you know, we wake up the sun, you know, he'd always say, well, everybody was sleeping, you guys were going to be grinding. And so he woke us up, my dad had this small little truck, this Nissan Brown truck, and he'd load us, he'd load my three ah. older brothers in the back. And I'd sit in the front next to my mom and I would sleep. And uh, he'd load us up and we'd all drive to Tripler. And uh, this was like so early in the morning, like even the guards at the gate would be like, is, you know, what are you guys doing here? (laughs) Um, Like, no, none of the officers had reported for work yet. And my dad was like, you know, I'm just taking the kid, the the guys to go work out, the boys and the officers knew by now. So they would let us in. And uh, I just always remember just doing like one or two and then just sitting aside and just going to be baby by my mom while all my three older brothers finished and they (laughs) were run. And uh, those were like every Saturday morning. Like my dad would do that, and then we'd go. After that, it was funny. We'd go run Tripler Hill, and then Hawaii coach uh, Coach Miano and Coach Dolora they were doing speed clinics at the University of Hawaii. So we'd go do Tripler Hill in the morning, like earlier in the morning, and then we'd go shoot it right down to Manoa, and we'd go uh, we'd go do the speed clinics um, at at the University of Hawaii in the gym. And uh, those were like. It was crazy, the work we were put through. But at the end of the day, like, I feel like that was, like, my best times as a child because it was like everybody was home. We were around the UH football players at the time. It was so awesome to just grow up in that lifestyle.
0: All right. Now, oldest brother plays offensive line at San Diego State, Whitley, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and then Sammy goes to to Texas Tech and mm-hmm. old, plays plays a great linebacker at Texas Tech. Then VJ goes to Utah and plays mm-hmm. at Utah. And mm-hmm. then you follow in your brother's footsteps at Texas Tech and play mm-hmm. four years there. And then you transfer to LSU. Why LSU? What made you decide to, to leave Tech and go to LSU? Because it worked out for you great. You, you mm-hmm. won a national championship, but that had to be tough. Uh,
1: it was. You know, I started every game at Texas Tech. I mean, I started every game in my college career and I got everything I wanted at Texas Tech, Tech. I played early, played as a true freshman. Um, I made all big twelve. I did everything I wanted to. I accomplished, but I felt like as a development, as a football player, I felt like I wasn't getting that. We always had new coaches every year. I mean, it was a revolving door, and uh, it's hard, I feel like as a player, a young player to develop, develop your skills, especially as a defensive lineman. Um, to me, I wanted the best opportunities to put myself in the best position possible to play in the NFL. And I felt like the SEC in general, it wasn't really just LSU. I wanted to go to an SEC school because I felt like the SEC production for defensive lineman was through the roof. And uh, I really honestly felt that whether if it wasn't LSU, I was going to go to Auburn. If I wasn't going to go to Auburn, I was going to go to Georgia. Those are my top three schools when I transferred. Each one of those three schools were going to get me development. They were going to get uh, – put me as a as a top defensive lineman, come out of my class. And that's really what led to me transferring was just I wanted to develop as a defensive lineman and uh, just take with me tools to take with me into the NFL. Hey, hey, hey you could be a great one here at LSU. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's, hey, that's spot on right there. You <laughs> Nailing the coffin.
0: <laughs> what was it like playing for for Coach O'Dronk?
1: Man, he is uh he is uh energ not an energizer bunny, but he's like a, a energizer um razorback. He's like an energizer boar. You know, like energizer bunny sounds kind of like nonchalant. It it sounds like very small and cute, but he's like an energizer boar where he just doesn't stop. And uh like Coach O is a coach. Not gonna lie, we we got into it sometimes on the football field. Um just cause his his room for error was so minimal and i think that's what really made me a great player was he didn't just coach me on how to be a great defensive lineman but he demanded it every single second we were with him whether we were in the film room whether we we're on the field it was always or in the weight room it was always like what are you doing today to become a great defensive lineman and sometimes like during the summer he'd run us to the ground like we do pursuit drill we do about 40 reps of pursuit drill and we'd go straight to big bags and hitting the sled and you would think we were done after like the 10th pursuit drill rep, we got 30 more. And uh, he was just a great guy. He's a great coach. He's uh, somebody that helped mold me to the defensive lineman. I am today.
0: Now you remember what you said, be careful what you asked for, right? Be, be no careful doubt. what you wish for. No yeah, doubt. You got one right there with coach. Oak. Hey, no um, you know, Draft day comes, and it's every kid's dream to be drafted. And it certainly was not was yours too, because of the fact that you, you played really, really well, and and you know for Dave Miranda in that system, but didn't get drafted. Mm-hmm. And now you got to make a decision because you've got opportunities beyond the Chargers. There, are, you know, a number of teams contacted you. What made you choose the Chargers? Why'd you go with, with the Chargers?
1: You know, the Chargers had two older veteran nose tackles. You know, they had Linval Joseph, all pro nose tackle, and they had Damian Square, eight-year vet, uh, played a lot of NFL ball, played at Alabama. So I figured, and me and my agent talked about this, we figured that if I could develop into that Chargers system as a young rookie with the older guys they have now, I could develop a foundation to where when those old guys decide to move on, retire, or move on to different teams, I could step into that role of the guy that, they trust. They developed as a rookie, and uh, it's worked out for me. Last year, going into the Chargers, developing all season, staying with the Chargers all season, signing with the Chargers um, after the season for a futures deal, I feel really confident in my decision. Just because the fact that last year they did promise me, they said, we are not going to draft a D-lineman this year. Um, you are going to be a priority for us going into free agency. And they stuck with their word. They didn't draft the D D-lineman. They called me as soon as the sixth round, they had like their final picks in. Um, They said, we want to secure a deal. And I said, I looked at my agent. I said, let's go with the Chargers. Um, I feel real confident. And it's worked out for me ever since.
0: Hey, now, um, you know, you start on a practice squad, which is, again, that's a tough job. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. It's tough duty. Mm -hmm. But you keep your head right. You keep working. You keep clawing away. Keep fighting for an opportunity. Play your first. NFL football game against the Buffalo Bills and come out of that game. You and Joey Bosa were tied for for quarterback pressures Mm -hmm. in the first time you ever snap on, you know, snap on the gear full time as an NFL player. What was it like to, to, to go out there and actually, you know, it's not practice. It's not, you didn't have any preseason games. Mm -hmm. So this is like the first time and and you go out there and you're lining up against Josh Allen.
1: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, you go through it in practice and you know, more than I do as a player, it's like, you can't really simulate game in practice. You know, you can practice fast all you want, but there's nothing like game reps and getting out there for an actual game day feel. Um, so we're, you know, I go through practice and then they let me know, uh, throughout the week, they're like, all right, we're going to bring you up this week. Um, Let's get ready. Let's get you reps. And so throughout the week, I'm going through it, going through, you know, my my keys, my drills, um, tendencies, Buffalo likes to do and stuff like that. First play I get out there, um, first drive goes by, uh, the one stay in. Second drive goes by, uh, the one stay in. And then the third drive comes up, and they're like, my coach, uh, Giff Smith, comes up to me. He's like, all right, Brayden, you're up. So I'm like, all right, cool, let's get it, you know. Um, we Before we run out to the field, Joey looks at me. He's like... Are you nervous right now? I said, uh, looked at him. I said, <laughs> I said, I'm not really nervous. Just a little butterflies. He's like, he looks at me. He goes, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so first play, we get out there. Um, to my right, Joey. To my left is uh, Damian Square. And then Jerry Tillery's on the other side. And then Denzel Perriman's behind me. Kenneth Murray's behind me. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to be all right. First play comes. They run like a basic inside belly. Uh, we shut it down. They try to run through the A gap, we shut it down. And then second play, I come in. Um, they uh it was like a little play action pass. I just kind of beat the center, beat the guard, and they gave me a little hinge block on a on a double team pass pro. And uh after that play, I was kind of like, you know what? Just relax. You're good. Uh it's just football. And so ever since this. ever since then, I just felt more comfortable. And the more reps I took, the more comfortable I got playing out there. So it was cool, it was dope.
0: All right, now. That's one thing. And then the next time you go out there, you're lining up and the guy that goes into the end zone and takes and goes like this <laughs> is the guy you're lining up against. Yeah. What, did you talk any smack to my boy Cam Newton? You
1: know, he what when I it's crazy in the NFL, when players talk smack, I feel like it's more the skill players that are talking the smack. The linemen in between the trenches.
0: The big guys are too tired. The big <laughs>
1: He took the words out of my mouth. The big guys are way too tired. And it's funny because, you know, like I'm lining up against these guys and, like, I got all the older vets next to me. And they're like – they're having conversations before the whistle. Like, hey, man, how's the offseason going for you? And I'm like – I'm a rookie. I'm like, like, these guys are over here talking to each other before the snap. And then ref blows the whistle and they're going at it. And I was like, to me, that was like an eye opener. I was like, geez, Cam Newton's over there. He's talking smack to like our DBs and stuff. You know, DBs are always going to talk trash. DBs and receivers, they always get into it. And uh, the worst is when you have linebackers. So Kenneth uh, Murray, Kenneth likes to talk a lot of trash when he's on the field. Um, He backs it up though. And the worst part about it is when he starts talking trash to the offensive line, like, man, you can't block me. I'm too fast. And Kenneth is a freakish athlete, but he tends to forget I'm the one that's in front of him. <laughs> he <has> to take on <laughs> these guys every play, which I don't mind. Um, but it's fun. It's crazy. You know, you, I grew up watching these guys on TV, Cam Newton, um, you know, when he was with the Panthers, I, Josh Allen when I was in college, and uh, even, like, oh, offensive linemen, you know, Shaq Mason, all these guys, uh, Brian Winters I go up against. You start to gain respect from these veterans, and you start to realize that you can play in this NFL – Um, in this league is probably one of the most comforting things is knowing that you belong in the league with these guys. All
0: right. Now, Mike is going to have a graphic. We're going to show a little graphic of you. You can't see it, but we're going to put it in. And then I just want you to comment about it. It is hard knocks this past summer. Uh And coach Lynn asks you to break the team down at the end, this is like at the towards the end of camp. I think it's like hardly. I think it might have been the last week of camp. Break the team down, and you and you threw a haka on them. Now explain that so fans that will you know like maybe the only haka a lot of our fans have ever seen if you're not a Polynesian or from Hawaii mm. is if you ever saw the All Blacks prior All to, Blacks. Mm. to a yeah a, a game. But why did you choose that haka and and you know they talk about the significance of that moment.
1: So the haka I did was the kamate. The kamate is the original haka um, from the Maori people. That was the very, it's like the very first thing you're taught as a child. Um, it's like learning your ABCs, right? In the Maori culture and the Polynesian culture, the first haka you should learn is the kamate. It's very traditional. I mean, my my dad taught it to us, <laughs> maybe when I was two, like, I just, I just grew up knowing the Haka, you know, I don't even remember learning it, I just remember knowing it, um, the meaning behind it, um, to live, to die, um, to fight, to, to claw for every, every breath of life I have left in me, I'm not going to give up, is why I do it, and when Coach Lynn had put me on the spot, right, he says, all right, um, break it up. And usually when we break it up, we just come up there, chargers on three, one, two, three, chargers. When he said, All right, Braden, break it up. So I thought it was just all right, Braden, break it up, charge on three. He goes, No, 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 no. I heard you like the dance. And so when he said that, and I seen all my teammates slapping their chest, poking out their tongue, I said, Oh boy, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And uh, you know, I present him with the haka, the kamate, and and to me, that's just tradition. That's just um, – it shows respect. It it shows the culture. And I think the best part about it was my teammates just love that energy. They loved it. I mean, and throughout the season, I caught myself teaching, like, a new teammate every day, the Haka. Um, the motions, the words, the meaning, and they just loved it. I mean, still to this day, they're always trying to do it. They're always sending me clips of, like, the All Blacks when they do it. Um, you know, the Tongan teams when they – when they do their dance, the, the Fijian teams, when they do their dance and, you know, they're the best part about it is they're learning about my culture and they love to see more about it and they want to ask me more questions about it.
0: All right. Talking about questions. Great segue. you got a future in this business. I'm just telling you right there. You take me right to the proper segue. Mike, can you put some questions? We've got a ton of questions that have come in for uh, B. If you could throw some questions up on there. I'll let I'll let uh, Braden answer. <clears throat> Mikey, okay, Claire Bear, who this is a uh, this is one of our fans from the United Kingdom, she lives in England. How distracting is it having hard knocks in the facility during preseason?
1: Mm. So they told us hard knocks was going to be there. And you get the the memo, it's like, oh, hard knocks is going to be here, cameras going to be around. But I really thought it was going to be distracting you know, like cameras following around, but they are really, really nonchalant about just being around. Like they had cameras in meeting rooms and stuff and we did everything through zoom. So they were kind of just popping in and out recording our meetings. Um, but as for being on the field, they were really, uh, just out of the way. I mean, they had like those little boom sticks where, you know, the mic was close if we we're on the sideline or something, but, um, they weren't really distracting at all. It was, it was kind of cool to, you know, chit chat with like all the managers of Hard Knocks, the sound crew. Um, you know, asking them about because I mean they've been doing this for 20 years, so I get to ask them about how Hard Knocks was with like Shannon Sharp, Tony Saragusa, all those guys back in the day. And you know, they, they let us you, in I'm, with like, inside I'm stories. Tell, it gotta, was it was hilarious. You
0: got to. I don't know what you majored in at Texas Tech, but it should have been communications because you do such a great job. Hey, here's Stephen Whale, who's a big Charger fan says, with the coaching changes this offseason, what are you hoping to see from the Chargers defensive 20000 and especially having a defensive head coach like Brandon Staley?
1: I think it puts more emphasis on the defensive guys to have a defensive coach. Um, you know as well as I do whether some coaches are offensively based or defensively based, those are the sides of the team that tend to just be more gelled. Um, and I'm just saying it biasly just because I'm defensive line, but – um, you know, hopefully we can just develop some consistency uh, and it starts from the players, it starts from us, um, showing up every day, doing our jobs, um, and just being uh, selfless when we're out there. I think that's just a big thing that I've learned throughout football and being a part of successful teams, like the championship team, is when you have guys that are selfless, because you know at LSU, we ran a 3-4 defense, we ran Coach Aranda's defense, and to play in the off front as a defensive lineman, you have to be really selfless. Uh, you're going to take up two guys every play. You're not going to fill up a stat sheet. And so when you get guys who are just all for the team before themselves, that's where you start to win games.
0: All right. David Crook is another one of our listeners from uh, across the ocean. He says, who was your inspiration growing up that led you to become a football player?
1: My father and my brothers. Um, I mean, that's, uh, I know that's, uh, (laughs) it sounds cliche, but, my father always had helmets and shoulder pads laying around. And I just remember, you know, Sam and Willie, my older brother, was just beating the heck out of each other in pads. And, and my ah. older brother, VJ giving me a bloody nose in the backyard. And um, I was like, man, this is, it sucks because I got to go against these guys every now and then. But um, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And just watching them do it and do it at a high level, I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do.
0: Well, young man, I'm going to tell you something. You have done it at an extremely high level since way, way long ago. And it's been such an incredible thing for me personally to think back to when you were 12 years old and my son was 10 years old. And there was this, <laughs> you know, there's this Somo- is a little Polynesian kid, this little Howley kid down in the end zone. <laughs> Painted up like we're going to get I'll show you those pictures. But it's just so awesome to see where you've gone and, and your journey. And it's when you laugh. I can hear your parents. I see your parents in your face. And certainly uh, all of us who, who've had an opportunity to get to know you over time, really pulling for you. and know you're going to have a great NFL future. And, you know, again, come back and do this anytime because you're really yes, a sir. pleasure to have with us. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, man. Thank you all for having me. All right.
1: <laughs> Till next time. <laughs>